Welcome everybody to the Night Watch Games podcast. This is season three, episode two, in which we pursue the answers to the question, what is happiness? Why do we pursue it? To explore that concept, we have the infamous Dan Norris. Glad to be here, Porik. How are you? I'm doing great. We got the podcast up and going again. We calculated that it was over a year that we've done the last recording. The main reason we haven't recorded is mainly COVID. It's almost safe to say that that's in our rearview mirror. What do you think? I'm a big believer that we're going to see it again, but we just won't respond the same way that we've we've responded in the past. Lessons learned? Lessons learned. I actually wear a ring from a relative who died in the influenza epidemic. And if you go back in history and you see them wearing masks and everything else that they had to do, slowly it changed over time as society learned to adapt to it. So I don't see any reason this will be any different. This be the same? I found it very interesting that when COVID as an epidemic was on the down and people started returning to the table and gaming, there was a palpable appreciation Mm -hmm. for what that was. The people seemed to treat other people in a gentler way. Time was more valuable spent because they realized that on a turn of a dime, it could all be taken away. So That's right. what's your experience with gaming? Oh gosh, it's old. <laughs> so uh, probably mid 80s is when I got into it. I remember seeing this blue box called Dungeons and Dragons, the expert edition. <laughs> and, uh, you know, being arrogant at the time, I thought, well, I'll get the expert one instead of the basic set. And of course, I had to go back and get the basic set. <laughs> I fell in love with it. So my early years were mostly role playing. And I did that for a long time. But But my true love has always been in the tabletop war game. I still remember being in this uh, little shop in Flint, Michigan called Writer's Hobby Shop, probably 1988, 1989. And I saw this book called Rogue Trader Warhammer 40,000. And I lost my mind because it said you could have orcs in space. Blew my mind. (laughs) That's what got me into it. Now, I'm more of a fantasy guy, but that was was my initial hook. Can you Mm -hmm. articulate what about that genre is your draw? I love role-playing. But just as a practicality, I don't have a lot of time. I travel a lot. Always better when you have a regular group that you play with. I had a group we played Harn Master for like seven years straight. The tabletop games, especially the Games Workshop, allowed me to have those experiences with amazing people in a short period of time. And I could always pick up and go, and it didn't have to have the same people every single time. I could take it on the road with me. Play people I never even fathomed I would meet. Do you find there's a common denial? Nominator among Games Workshop players? That's a great question. Piece that seems to bind us together is that unity of wanting to be with others. There's a myriad of games that you can play by yourself. And I've certainly played video games where I've lost track of time. And to me, we've been sitting around fires for millennia, sharing stories and building relationships. And I think for the Games Workshop players, the majority of them, you know, there's always a couple of carnicles out there, but the majority of them really want to have that connection, want to have that brother want to have that familial relationship. It's a great way where you can get together as friends and have a mutual purpose. There's also a hobby component. So if I'm not with my friends, I can paint, I can model, I can craft. So it really scratches a lot of different itches in my world. Do you find that the hobby element is springboarding off of that social component and that when you're painting your miniature, you're like, oh, Joe's going to love this. This next match is going to be awesome because of my color scheme and my opponent's going to respond to it. Are you motivated by the external when you hobby? 
hobby or do you find that the process itself is just enjoyable? I want to say it's the process, but if I'm honest with myself, it's the approval. Yeah, it's totally yeah. that. I mean, um, <laughs> shout out to uh, my dear friend, Brian Stry. You know, I picked up some terrain. Actually, it was a box that you had up here on your soda machine for years. It was a big citadel castle. Yep. So that thing's been passed around like a doobie through the community. And so we've never had the opportunity to have the money and get it. So we got it now. And so Brian and I are sitting there laughing, talking about how amazing it's going to be to have this finished. In addition to other terrain sets, we're doing this Necromunda thing. And so we're, we're terrain nuts. And part of it is when you have all of the terrain out, you have all of those miniatures. It's just an escape. It brings you right into the game. We have stories of games that have become legends that have uh, evolved over time. And, you know, many friends still here and gone or memor- memorialized. What we've discovered here at the store is that people tend not to remember the game itself, but they definitely remember the people that they played it with. Yes. And the story tends to revolve around the personal interaction over the table with the game being the the lubricant for that interaction. Yes. And the memorable moments are what the other person did or said, but not necessarily what the dice did. Right. I mean, there's probably exceptions to that, but I think the majority is we remember the people. Right. Do you find that the same? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, the gaming club that I'm part of, our whole mission is building relationships, you know, sharing fellowship, and creating a memorable gaming experience. And so you'll notice it doesn't say Games Workshop. It doesn't say Warhammer because it doesn't matter what that is. It's yeah. it's that fellowship. I think people are sorely missing these days. Yeah. And so we have a lot of people that come into the community that they just don't have a vehicle for making those connections. And our society has become so technology driven. It's hard just to go meet people anymore. Nightwatch Games had a, a soft motto for a little while. We solve problems. Seems mm-hmm. like a really strange motto for a game store. What we realized that a majority of people that come into the store have a problem and that problem is they're looking for a, a game or a product and we are the solution in the sense that we make it available for them to buy and therefore we're solving that problem. That one's easy. Several people come into the store on a daily basis because of a totally different array mm-hmm. of problems. Uh, social problem, divorces, laid off from work, doing poorly in school, really serious things like uh, domestic violence and sexual abuse and all sorts of things that can get really significant. We found it very interesting that they would come to the game store for that solution. Mm-hmm. And of course we're not licensed professionals or counsel or anything, but we prided ourselves on being part of that solution. And networking and people getting connected over gaming is a good healing mechanism. That's why we really responded as Nightwatch Games to your organization is because we have seen firsthand people with problems come in, interact with your group, and they leave with a smile on their face. And that's solving profound problems. That goes way beyond retail or just gaming. It's really kind of a profound humanitarian effort. Are you conscientiously aware of that impact that you have as an individual and your club has as an organization? It's intentional for us to do that. And and we're imperfect beings. So really appreciate the compliment. It is a challenging endeavor that we go off of. And I, and I love the fact that you have a model like that because I think people forget about purpose. And I really believe gaming can be a purpose and, and, and it serves many. In addition, I resonate with everything that you just said. Society has forgotten how to do restorative rest. We don't really have a Sabbath anymore. It's 24-7. Mm-hmm. You don't just go to 
to work and and then you leave and you don't have to think about work anymore because work goes with you with your phone. We're over-focused as a society. There's all sorts of research that shows that focus limits us. You know, the amazing people that are in the club, you know, the Tyler Rabs and the, the Dawson's and the Brian Strys and, you know, Resta Solo who's with us, Mighty Tom. And these, these people, we intentionally wanted to create an environment where if it was Brian Stry or myself or somebody else, that they felt welcomed and in and they were able to have that respite. They were able to leave their troubles for the day just to become whole again. And it sounds silly and it sounds, you know, goofy, but that is a very intentional part of the Sons of Slambo. So many of us are wandering through life just burdened with woe. What can we do to create a community that's that's a surrogate family where at least once per week you can come in and just feel safe and be yourself and not have to worry. You know, we spend so much of our lives trying to be other people and putting on these masks of who we're supposed to be at work and the duty that we have to play as parent or, you know, husband or wife or, or anything else. Well, here you get to just be you. And while we're gaming, everybody else is taken. So just be you. And it's okay. We don't care if you're trans or what, you know, or you, you, you grew up in a place like Flint, Michigan, God for anything, <laughs> those souls, or anything else. It's just, we're going to greet you in whoever you are and as you are. That's very much the same as Nightwatch games and our approach. Right? We as Americans are grinding at our nine to five jobs that seems to be consuming a majority of our time. What, what are you doing personally to transcend Dan's personal pursuit of happiness? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a deep one. I'm going to give you two different answers. One is a quote I think about quite a bit, which is joyfully participate in the sorrows of the world. Whatever we focus on ultimately preloads it with importance. Think about an argument you've had with a spouse or a loved one or a friend where it's trivial in the moment. You know, it's like, I want the salt and pepper shakers on the table. I don't want them out there. I want them put away. And you have this big argument about something like salt and pepper shakers. And then you walk away and you come back and you're like, what the hell do I even care about the salt and pepper shakers. Well, whatever you focus your attention to preloads it with importance. So if I focus on the suffering that I experience in my life, I'm going to experience more suffering. If I focus on more gratitude in my life, I'm going to experience more gratitude. I'm not trying to create a world in my mind that I want, but creating the world that is in, in trying to be as truthful with it, but then finding a way to, find, to, to eke out that joy. Whatever it is, however brief it is, and how how can I create it for others that I don't think people think about? They usually think uh, about themselves. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm no guru, but we don't think about giving people kindness. We think, well, you know, I can't give any money away because then I can't feed myself. Irony is, is I could give out as much kindness as I want and I'll never run out. I can give as much patience as I want and I'll never run out. I can give as much compassion as I want and I'll never run out. And those are the things that are truly precious in life. It's not the time that we spend at work to, to get our mortgage and all those other things can't buy the precious things in life. You can't go to HEB and say, hey, tell me what aisle dignity is in. How can I joyfully participate in the world around me, regardless of the sorrows? What is my highest and best use? Because I think a lot of times we get, hey, I want the corner office at work. Okay, that's fine. But what is what is my highest and best use? For me, it's I help people see. I'm really good at asking people questions to rethink things or look at it from a different angle. And if somebody comes in like uh, here, so if the Sons of Slambo are having 
an AOS night here at Nightwatch Games. If somebody comes in and is rude, well, all of a sudden now you'd be like, oh, well, that guy sucks or he's he's not, you know, well, I don't want to game with that guy anymore versus what do you think is going on in his life? What made him or her show up in a way that was terse and angry or resentful? Maybe he has to poop. Maybe he has to poop, <laughs> right? You know, maybe it was something we did. I had garlic food before I got here. That could probably turn somebody off. But how do we how do we reframe it so people see things in a different light than they otherwise did? One of the, the, the core inspirations of my life is my wife, Judy. She's really active in the homeless community and does, does other charities. You know, I've been really active with uh, Clarity Child Guidance Center, children with mental illness. And I would love to help out more with those. Not necessarily be in charge of it, but more often I would love to help them with their influencing messages. How can we get people to... To see things differently, especially areas with stigma. And when with the homeless community, it's getting people to even notice that they're there. There's a lot of folks that they won't see them. And so how do we how do we get people to reframe how they look at the homeless? Uh, because if we could do that, then we can probably reframe how we treat society. And, and so many of them are amazing people. I'm, I'm always struck at how many of them are veterans, people who fought for us that, you know, now are castaways society and we won't talk to them because they're unhoused. Expendable resource, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is super sad. So I, I would love to help out with that, and I would love to game a lot. <laughs> is there a meshing of the two? Oh, yeah. And, and it's been that way for years. A group of friends here uh, started doing uh, uh, you know, a version of 40K called Apocalypse, where inst- we would bring out our entire collections of painted models and play. We did that here locally uh, for uh, what we call the Battle of Ridden's World. And so it was you know Todd Rumbach and uh, Oscar. Oscar Barella and myself, Reed Andrews, Brian Stry, and Mighty Tom Ferris. And then we went, wow, that was a lot of fun. Let's do it again. And so we did it again. And now more people want to be part of it. And then more people want to be part of it. And so the next thing you know, we're built this thing where people are coming from all over the state. And then we got people in the United Kingdom that wanted to play along. And people in Australia. So the game would start in Australia, move to the UK, and then come here. We've got all these people who are coming in to do good, you know, to have a great experience. Why can't we tie this to charity? How can we create more purpose with this investment? And so we started raising thousands of dollars each event for Clarity Child Guidance Center and other charities over the years like Hurricane Maria and Hurricane Harvey and some of the others. And what's the name of that event? That's called Port Maw. We took the name out of an old Battlefleet Gothic book. (laughs) You know, we just said, what a cool name. We made it a narrative event where you could get points in the months when we weren't playing for posting pictures of what you painted. So we're we're always big on playing with painted models. So we wanted to create a mechanism that rewarded people for painting Uh and celebrated people for painting. They don't have to be great at it. Just did you do it? And then the other side was writing narrative stories that became themes for the next battle and the next battle and the next battle. And so it kept people engaged all year around. We've raised tens of thousands of dollars over the years. We may get close to 30,000, but I have to go tally it up. That's great. And and it's not just from Port Maw, but we did other charity events along the way. So I'm just looping those all into one. That's amazing. You know, none of that money that was raised would be possible without Nightwatch Games or other stores here in town like Dragon's Lair or Heroes and Fan or Re- Retreat. There's a lot of them that aren't even here anymore. You know that that were key to it, and and it certainly wasn't just me. There there was a lot of other people. You know, John Bailey along the way. He he would help us fund the St. Joseph's Hall to do those events. That's right. Brandon is running uh, the majority of it because I just don't have time anymore. <laughs> There is a wake 
created behind somebody that has uh, a drive. And that wake is quickly filled with people that wish that they could be the driver, but they don't have the time or the effort or maybe the leadership skills. But they're quick to support trailblazing type of personality that's out there making new things happen. And I find that the gaming community is full of those very, very supportive people. The second thing that you've said is that it is almost impossible to seek happiness by yourself. Mm -hmm. It has to be through connections that make it possible for you to pursue your happiness. The happiness itself is infectious. Right. And that your yes. happiness is causing other happiness, which is causing you more happiness. And your motivations and your momentum is really built from this, this churning of, of joy, right? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of where the image of the wake comes from. I see this, this boat going through the misery of water of life and behind it is this void caused by your happiness that people are sucked into. The human pursuit of happiness is not a solo journey. There's no evidence that anybody is striking out on their own and earning all the money and all the freedoms that they want and pursuing their dream, that they're not involved and networked and mm -hmm. connected and influenced by and influencing to. When you're seeking your dream and you're pursuing your version of happiness, that you have to understand it's going to involve other people mm -hmm. and not to shy away from that, but to lean into it. Without a doubt, 2015, Brian Stry, Mighty Tom Ferris, and myself are in the cul-de-sac outside of my house. And it's during a time where, if you're familiar with the Warhammer hobby, we call the Rage of Sigmar. They moved away from eighth editions of the previous Warhammer model and came out with this completely alien, different rule set we fell in love with it. we thought it was amazing but the majority of the community just outright rejected it <laughs> i had friends in in you know my old gaming group a lot of friends that i don't see anymore because they were just so locked into this <laughs> they got into fist fights i mean it was ridiculous you know anytime that there's a failure or something unpopular people react a certain way like if it's a success Every success has a thousand fathers and mothers. Everybody's part of it. I remember I gave so-and-so that idea. You know, I told Brenda and Porig that they should put the restrooms on the right and not the <laughs> left. And so that's why Nightwatch Games is successful. So you have that, but you also have every time that there's a failure or conflict, it's an orphan. Nobody wants it. We're out there and we're talking about how much we love the game and all the beliefs that were out there that, that just weren't real. People would come to the game. I mean, it was hilarious, Porig. People would say, I, I play age of Sigmar with the intention to break it. And I figured out how to break it. Well, imagine masturbating with the purpose <laughs> of breaking it. I'm sure you can break it. But what if your focus was, how does it work? How can we have fun with it? One of the things that we decided to do is all three of us invested in buying terrain and these Citadel gaming boards that we brought here for years, yep. you know, to set up and, and to have everything facilitated. So if somebody came in, it would have gobsmacking, beautiful terrain to set the stage for a community that people wanted to be part of. And so that's a lot of the origin of Sons of Slambo. You know, we called it the Azur plan. <laughs> you know, and, and it, I mean, I could still see us all sitting outside the uh, cul-de-sac leaning on Tom's car. And, and sure enough, that's what we did. You have totally succeeded in the mission of making Age of Sigmar a cool, cool game to play. Well, you're very kind. It is now uh, obviously a global movement. What other 
things are happening here in San Antonio that are empowered by the game. There's a uh, gentleman who only dabbles in the hobby now. His name's Jonathan Napick, but he was uh, doing what we did in Austin, trying to, to get everybody going. And he heard about an event in Dallas, and this is years ago, right when Age of Sigmar was still pretty unpopular. Uh, and he went up there and met a whole bunch of folks in Dallas. And what that did is it connected all of our communities. And that became the genesis of what we call the Texas Master Series. And so there's uh, there's Matt Taylor and, and several others in Dallas who have a club called the Dallas Defenders. There's Houston. They have some of the best players in the in the world, like Gavin uh, Grieger, who's who's the number one player. Super nice guy. He's been here several times. And, and Zach Kennedy and Kyle Valdez. And there's just so many cool people out there. They have two different groups. There's the uh, Grand Alliance Houston and Harambe's Heroes. <laughs> they are, I mean, swear to God, they're they're just the best folks. And then in Austin, we have the Austin Weird Knob. We've got uh, Jeff and, uh, you know, Matt Robish and, and so many others that, that are there. And what we've done is connections all throughout the state is we decided to link grand tournaments in each city to a final Masters series that happens annually. Now, the pandemic got in the way. We got to do one full season and then we had to pause. But we're now on the uh, the end of almost our second season. Next in line is here in San Antonio and it's called the Slambo GT. <laughs> Besides the obvious connection to our, our beloved club, we use Slambo as, as a symbol. A lot of people who aren't familiar with the hobby, that was one of the really early Citadel Games Workshop models. Older players would come to the table and see it and go, oh, that's Slambo. That's Slambo. And then people who are in Age of Sigmar, they re-released it right after Age of Sigmar came in. So there was a new Slambo model. And matter of fact, uh, for those of you who've ever been here at Nightwatch Games or some of those events, and you hear people yell Slambo and then everyone else yells, that genesis happened here at Nightwatch Games. Because what would happen... <laughs> Sorry, everybody. That battle cry is all over now. It's been cried in uh, the UK, Warhammer World. People were sending me messages because they were hearing it at Adepticon. And they're like, you're here. And I'm like, I am not there. I swear <laughs> to God. You know, and, and matter of fact, Reddit even said, well, maybe we should change it to Age of Slambo. That, that connected the old gamers to the newer gamers. And so that became the symbol of not only our club in this game sort. But we, we actually have set, up, set this up. So every time you go to a tournament or even a local event, as long as you have eight players or more, those points are calculated. And then there's an invitational event at the end of the year. And so Slambo this year, just because of the calendar, is the last major event. We've got people coming in from all over the United States and Canada. So Seasons of War for our, our people out there like to watch battle reports, they're coming in from Canada. So we're going to be telecasting Recording? the uh, wow. yeah the, uh, the the top table. Harambe's heroes are currently the masters of the roost. So they're kicking everybody's butt. I love those guys, but <laughs> God damn, they, they spend all their time practicing. So they're, uh, I don't. Is there a charity associated with Yes, there is. So anytime, like we were talking about earlier with Port Maw, I mean, uh, if you're bringing people together, we want to do charitable fundraising. What we're doing is having a charity raffle at the event. And you don't have to be part of the tournament to be part of the charity raffle. Pork, you have been super generous in giving some prize support. We've received some from Dragon's Lair. I think Hole in the Wall Hobbies has committed some. We're hopeful to, to raise several more thousand dollars for Clarity Child Guidance Center. One in five children in Texas actually suffers from mental illness. And there's a stigma attached to it in a lot of places where they can't get funding. 
we've been able to help raise that to get kids and their family the treatment they need. When you'd walk over to the 40K side, and no disrespect to my 40K friends, it was like tense and angry yeah. and, you know, it was this musk-filled room of, <laughs> of, of, you know, tension. A lot of and you walk into the AOS side, um, people were genuinely having fun, enjoying each other. Even if you were getting absolutely waffle-stomped, yeah. The sportsmanship, the quality of the painting, you're having a great time. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, well, I mentioned Gavin, and he is extraordinarily clever on how he thinks through gaming. But he also spends a lot of time with sportsmanship. So if he's playing a newer player, he coaches them through the game, and he doesn't take advantage of them. And, and you know, and, I, and that's just, Gavin's not the only one. You know, we all do. Part of it is, if we're creating memorable gaming experiences, we have to own that. And people are coming out to that, that competitive event. How are we rewarding people for sportsmanship, for painting? And and most critically, if somebody doesn't show up with that mindset, how do we redirect them? How do, them? You, yeah. how how do, do we have that conversation? Yeah. You know, I always love it when the weird knobs come down from Austin to play us because they're they're always like, I cannot believe you guys get to game here every week. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, yeah, this this is here. You know, and there's other places that we game in town. I mean, it's not to slight any of the others, but, yeah. you know, it's this is for adults. I, I love it that there aren't children running around because yeah. I get to be dad somewhere else. You right. know, and right. I don't right. really right. want to be dad here. love for your customers and your customers love for you and love for each other. I mean, you guys have really done a good job capitalizing this, if I might say so. I mean, everything from some of the sadder events, like, you know, the the funeral that we've had here for yeah. Tom, and I know you've done others for other groups too, and yeah. marriages and those types of things. Well, now... Now you're talking about familial love. You're talking about fraternal, you know, and friendship. And we don't think about that. I mean, if you go back to when our our fathers were our age or our grandfathers were our ages, you know, you had, uh, you know, the Masonic temples or the, the Moose Lodge or the Knights of Columbus. And, you know, all these different communities where people would gather in a social way to be together and to express love with each other and, and to enjoy these memorable experiences. We're no different now. It's just we have more options. So there isn't just a couple of games in town it's fitness there's all these different fitness places they can go and become part of a crossfit cult or in our case we like to play with toy soldiers and push them around the table and yeah. laugh and joke with each other do you think that the future of a game store is that profound community that transcends retail i'm uh cuckoos for cocoa puffs with the idea of you guys being able to serve food it's just to have that that community and yeah. hang out yeah. You know, after game discussions are sometimes some of my, my favorite parts of the yeah. event. We're social creatures. We we benefit from being together. Physiologically designed for millennia. One of the things with Sons of Slambo we try to do is, is you know, even in the pandemic years, which is probably crazy, you know, hugging people and telling them that you love them time to time. Make it weird. You know, I mean, because <laughs> you never see people at work going, you know what? My supervisor gave me sincere, genuine appreciation and told me he loved me. I'm fucking quitting. Never hear anybody yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah. It's always, man, I can't believe that. You know, I work with people who truly love and care for me. And and so why should we be ashamed of it or shy of it in our own personal lives or in the gaming communities that we want to create? People are going to come in and out of our lives. And um, some of them will be our tribe. And there will be some people that you think are on your tribe and have been on your tribe for years that aren't really on your tribe. Everyone, in a weird way, everyone's beautiful and everyone's broken. And sometimes that causes you to drift apart. There are gamers in this community that, you know, used to be tight with. I mean, take them to the hospital and things of that nature. But for a, a weird political view, they've decided to 
you know, cut ties. It's like, well, you know, it hurts, but okay. You can either be resentful and go, well, what's wrong with them? And, you know, why did they reject me? Or just say, you know, I love you, but I'm going to love you from a distance. And, yeah. and good luck to you. You're you're not one of our tribe. And we would love to find somebody who has the same beliefs and attitudes and values. And if that's you, man, you're going to have a hell of a great career here. Yeah. If that's not you, okay, well, you're probably a passing, you know, individual in our life. And so as long as it's equitable, that's fine. But you're probably not going to be here for the long term. Mm-hmm. And be okay with it. The pursuit of happiness or acknowledging, as, as you've stated, acknowledging the happiness that is just waiting to be acknowledged oh yeah through perception and uh what you're focusing on is really an empowering mm-hmm. interpretation of what we're all about i started the podcast with the idea that we we were pursuing this thing off in the horizon mm-hmm. and that you didn't start with it you had to go get it uh, i have to now reevaluate my whole podcast day because <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean a metaphor to think about is it's a lot of times we're standing in a river of joy just dying of thirst. We're allowing our happiness and our well-being to reside in the heads and the hearts of others versus ourselves. Right. All we have to do is kneel down and take a drink. But a lot of times we don't want to do that. We want it to come to us. Or we want to force it to us. This is great. Uh, the lesson learned here is, guys, you are happy. You just don't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> so go be happy. This is Pork and Dan Norris from Nightwatch Games Podcast. I'll talk to you later. <laughs>